never stop learning, never stop striving to do better. Because the minute that you stop viewing yourself as a student, no matter how old in your career you are, once you think you've mastered everything there is to know, that's the moment that your growth will stagnate. Welcome to the RehabCast, the official podcast of the American Congress of Rehabilitation Medicine and the archives of PM&R. I'm your host, Dr. Bill Niehaus from the University of Colorado. Welcome to this special episode of the RehabCast. We have the pleasure of meeting with four of the authors who helped reboot and update the ACRM Cognition Manual. Our conversation with these experts will highlight how we can continue to enhance the cognition of our patients and expand our own clinical knowledge. We'll kick off this conversation by delving in the material in the update with the speech therapist Rebecca Eberly and PhD Amy Shapiro-Rosenbaum. Without further ado, let's welcome our guest to the RehabCast. Please tell us a little bit about yourselves. Good afternoon. I'm Rebecca Eberly, and I am traditionally trained as a speech-language pathologist. I've been practicing in adult neuro for 40 years. I've been at Indiana University for the last... 23 years. I'm currently clinical professor in the Department of Speech and Hearing uh, Sciences at Indiana University. And my primary role is teaching courses and graduate education in the area of working with adults with acquired brain injury and strokes. And I am Amy Shapiro Rosenbaum. I am a clinical neuropsychologist I work in an inpatient subacute facility, um, and I've been in the same job since I first got out of school. So I've been here for 22 years. And um, one of the core pieces of our program is a cognitive rehabilitation program, which I helped develop here and sort of sparked my interest in the field and in getting involved in these more um translational efforts. Um, I am currently the program director for our traumatic brain injury rehabilitation program. And I am also an investigator for the um, TBI model systems at Mount Sinai in New York. That's awesome. Thanks for both joining us today. And uh, we're going to dig dig in here. And I'm curious, uh, for listeners that aren't fully familiar with this topic area, how would either of you define cognitive rehabilitation or or what is that exactly from your perspective? I think from a big picture, the outcomes of cognitive rehabilitation are to work with individuals who have acquired cognitive impairments to maximize their safety, assist them with functional independence, and very importantly, to attain a higher quality of life. And there are a whole variety of strategies and tools and interventions that will do for that outcome. Amy, do you have anything you'd like to add to that? Or is is that a pretty good summation from your perspective? I think that's a really good description. I think the only thing I would add would be it's kind of a unique discipline in that it has tentacles in all of the other rehab disciplines as well. Um, and one of the efforts really with doing cognitive rehab is to identify how those cognitive impairments are impacting on not just their general cognitive abilities day to day, but on their ability to perform functional tasks like those 
of walking or getting dressed that are traditionally under the other um, therapy domains. Excellent point. When I'm, I'm kind of curious, and it might help kind of unbox this topic a little bit, is learning a little bit, what brought you both into the field of cognitive rehabilitation? If we rewind the clock a little bit, and you're, you've both been in your roles for several years now, but what were those sparks that initially drew you into this domain? Well, I started quite a long time ago, and it was really when cognitive rehabilitation was uh, building. And I will say, I, I came right out of graduate school without hardly any formal focus on cognitive rehabilitation or even on traumatic brain injury, and took a position in a, a rehabilitation day program where that was basically all that I did. <laughs> so there was a lot of online training and education uh, from my mentors um, at that time. Uh, I can say that I loved the opportunity to meet with individuals and work pretty intensively with them to help them discover what their strengths and weaknesses were, to help them identify how they can uh, move forward in terms of their communication and their cognition. And I really enjoyed the role of, of that dynamic of working collaboratively and building the therapeutic, therapeutic milieu with which that important work would happen. Uh, and the psychoeducation and counseling piece for, from a therapist's perspective has been very rewarding. I think for me, as I kind of alluded to in the introduction, I had been here since the beginning of my career and the program in my home organization of Park Terrace is kind of unique in that we can keep uh, residents on program for as little as three months, but as long as a year. And so it's kind of a really unique environment to see people progress through their recovery. It's not uncommon that patients come in in comas or other disorders of consciousness and then slowly evolve through confusional state to, um, you know, having that need for that more structured cognitive rehab for the attention, for the memory. And then the other piece of it was being in a position to try to help build a program that I, I didn't understand. So I was forced into the literature which exposed me to Cicerone at Al's reviews. So even before I met him, even before ACRM, he was like a god in the field. And, you know, me, like many others, like Rebecca said, there, there was no such thing as graduate training in this. So I had like one cognitive neuroscience class in my clinical PhD program um, and um, was desperate for or, you know, thirsty for some guidance in how to do that, um, seeing how important it was. Would you say that's what ultimately led to the first edition kind of being built and put together was kind of that desire across, you know, multiple disciplines, multiple regions of the country to kind of pull that all together into a, a nice package to make it tangible? I joined at around um, a similar period of time as I think there was a shift in the task force that more clinical people were joining and not just researchers. The third systematic review had just finished. So joining um, the annual conference in 2008, as there usually is at the end of a big project, there was an open brainstorming discussion about what's next. Do we do another systematic review? Do we do something different? And I think that there's an importance of 
needing to be able to translate that research because we don't necessarily have access to it as clinicians. And I wasn't, obviously there was a lot of us in the room sort of with that mindset. And then the other piece was really insurance that we had these three evidence-based reviews that the Cicerone groups had put out, yet there really had not been much change in insurance coverage at that time. So um, really there just was a brainstorming session and a lot of great ideas about, okay, we haven't, we should still do the next review, which we did and is now completed, but how do we now move the needle forward to start to get what we do already know into the clinician's hands who are not part of an academic library or, um, you know, research-based system where they can, um, access. And even if they could, there was not sufficient information in those articles to really tell you what to do. It just told you in general, you know, you should do use training and external compensations for memory, but it didn't really provide you guidance on how you do that. So those are the kind of pieces that we were trying to tackle. And then Amy, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe there was some specific domains that were in that first uh, publication, first edition, and kind of just talk through maybe what those are and then potentially kind of what were the things that that spurred on into the second edition? So, yes, at the time, um, again, it was meant to be a purely knowledge translation type of project. So we used the guidance of what domains there was actually evidence-based recommendations for. Um, And those were five core domains for remediation of impairments of attention, impairments of memory, impairments of executive functioning, impairments of visual spatial functioning, but in particular, hemispatial neglect and social communication impairments. And then in that first edition, besides those five chapters, we also had um, what we call the principles of cognitive rehabilitation chapter, which was a little less research-based. It was research-informed, but it was more, again, our collective clinical knowledge about how you move people through the phases. And so there was different subgroups of us working on each of those domains who then consolidated all of the research studies within each of those domains and came up with like one consolidated protocol for each of the um, the treatments that were recommended. Thanks for doing all that work. And uh, Rebecca, thinking kind of jump, that's the jumping off point. Now, looking at the next edition, what were, what were the things that, you know, at that, as you mentioned, there's always that session of what do we do next? Or what do we need to add? Or what did we wish was in there that we didn't get a chance to do? Talk about what's new and improved and added to this next edition now. Yeah, and actually that was uh, quite a lot. The original edition is 130 pages and our uh, most recent edition is 530. And so it was a significant uh, enhancement from our first uh, our first edition. Uh, so first of all, we had advancement in the recommendations from the newest uh, Cicerone et al. review. Uh, that resulted in 12 new or updated treatment recommendations. And so that needed to, uh, we needed to get that out in the hands um, of the, the therapists and clinicians. 
secondly, we there were areas that we wanted to provide more foundation for the clinicians, particularly in the area of neuropathology of traumatic brain injury um, or acquired brain injury. It's a little broader than just um, what's traditionally considered TBI. Um, we also uh, uh, were thinking that in order to reach, to really make the biggest impact, we need to get this in the hands of those people when they're first training. Uh, so we need to get it into the hands at the graduate school level for occupational therapists, speech therapists, psychologists, and neuropsychologists. And that will really then make the difference. That's how we're going to advance the science. And so we made um, additions uh, to the textbook overall in that regard as well. The last thing that is included in this new manual, which we're very proud of, is we have a companion website. And this companion website, uh, which my uh, colleagues are going to be speaking of in a subsequent uh, rehab cast, but just to uh, very briefly say there are two primary portals, and one is primarily for the students and clinicians, which provide them access to lots of resources that we talk about in the book that aren't present in the book, like data forms and uh, um and some templates that are used to help support the teaching of some of the interventions. Um, and a lot of those resources link direct links to some of the things that we talk about. Um, and then there is an instructor portal. And then there we've got sample syllabi, sample projects, sample uh, uh, tasks and activities that will engage students in learning um, this, um, uh, this, uh, these interventions. That's wonderful. I really, uh, you know, educating residents is kind of one of my primary appointments. And I found that the the case review pieces really help anchor and make that information a lot stickier for trainees or even myself, you know, trying to correlate it to a person I've seen or something like that really helps bring it forward. And having looked through this and seeing the extensive list of resources that's there it's it's great because it really helps people move beyond just the this is what you should do but also here's additional things for to help you out with that process and i think you guys did an amazing job trying to pull all those pieces together and make it implementable for various levels of experience and learning so kudos to you in that for sure it so was I, a team effort. Uh, there are uh, Amy and I are the co-editors, and we also uh, were primary authors in some of the chapters. But there are nine primary authors, and there are twenty-three contributors, uh, and they're across all disciplines and uh, and from five different countries. So I think it really allows a multi-perspective uh, and diverse um, um, perspective in implementing these types of interventions. And I think that, you know, one really nice piece about the website is it allows to evolve over time, right? Like this was a major undertaking to redo the second version. And our hope is that for the most part, any future additions might be a new one new treatment that is a new recommendation that can just get plugged in. I think this is kind of the full culmination of moving from the systematic reviews to the implementation. And this is a great iteration in that process. When you're thinking about the overall picture of this, and now you've kind of hinted at this, Amy, a little bit, but 
this is the second edition. What do you foresee as being the pieces that are going to be added soon? Or as you try to peer through that crystal ball, where do you see cognitive rehabilitation going in the future? So some of this is probably, you know, up for discussion. Right? We've got a ton of ideas and a lot of different things that we would like to do. I think some of the growth, our hope will be more in the training than in the manual itself over time. And as Rebecca hinted at before, when our colleagues, uh, Donna and Michael are on um, shortly, they'll get more into what that training looks like and our plans for future trainings. But um, being able to move away from the book and more to life. And we've got other things besides the manual for that as well, all related to cognitive rehab. But we also have a group working on developing uh, tools for care partners like family members and so that in areas where people don't have access because they live in remote areas or insurance is prohibitive, at least we could still get some tools into the hands of the care providers. So these have all been like the beginnings of um, where we see the next step going. I'm excited to see where it's going to go. Rebecca, do you have any uh, additional thoughts before we close it out today? No, I think Amy really hit that very comprehensively. Uh, I think uh, we have still a lot of work to do. Uh, There's uh, a lot of individuals who uh, are not capitalizing on the science that's out there and the interventions that we know are effective. And so uh, uh, we need to keep uh, marching this march and, as Amy um, indicated, find uh, continuous to try to discover and find ways that we can both be supportive of, um, of people learning and implementing. Because the bottom line is this is what is going to make a difference for that long-term outcome of cognitive rehabilitation. Could not agree more. Now that we've kind of gone through this, let's shift gears a little bit and jump into the lightning round questions. These are these are completely be harder to answer than the uh These are completely harmless, um, and you can opt to both answer them or kind of take a stab at one either way. So first one off the bat, tell me a piece of good advice you've received. Well, I'll start because I did uh, did think just a little bit about that. Uh, One of the authors of our manual, I'm going to wind this back to the manual, but one of the authors of the manual, as a matter of fact, the individual who uh, was the managing editor of the initial initial, uh, publication is Dr. Lance Trexler. And one of the things he often says uh, now is live large. And uh, I think that's good advice. It's simple. I think uh, those of us that get really busy uh, in our families and our careers and are really focused on on uh, next steps, sometimes we forget that. Uh, so I would say live large. I would say early in my career, um, when I first was experiencing the frustration of getting to a point where you think you know what you're doing (laughs) and then the next patient gets admitted and you're baffled by their presentation. And so um, this being a field where no matter how much, you know, you kind of still have so much more to learn and that can be frustrating at times early in my career. One of my mentors told me, you know, never stop learning, never stop striving to do better. Because the minute that you stop viewing yourself as a student, 
no matter how old in your career you are, once you think you've mastered everything there is to know, that's the moment that your growth will stagnate. Very true. Uh, I've also kind of off of that been told if you've treated one brain injury patient, you've treated one brain injury patient. Exactly. <laughs> that uh, that definitely has held true over my time. Um, next question. You're facing a big decision and you need some help. Tell me about who you call or how you go about opening up that door to getting that extra feedback and assistance. So I'll go first this time. I would say, well, my first phone call is probably to my dad. <laughs> I'm being honest. Um, you know, he's been that rock of support um, for me in my professional career, that sounding board. Um, also, being an overthinker, I don't know if there's any Gilmore Girls fans in the audience, but like Rory Gilmore, I do love my pros and cons lists. So I usually start with, you know, logically thinking about, um, you know, what the advantages or disadvantages to a particular decision would be. But I don't make even simple decisions <laughs> easily. And maybe that's part of the OCD that brings us to where we are. So typically it does involve doing a lot of research even into um, <laughs> personal decisions before pulling the trigger on anything like that. My response to this is very early in my career, I sent tentacles out to people who were doing like things. And I was became really active in my state speech and hearing association. ISHA is the name of it. And then uh, uh, the Brain Injury Association of Indiana. I made a lot of connections of folks there. And then most recently through ACRM, which uh, uh, are just really my go to folks now. And so uh, I reach out to these individuals uh, because uh, the kind of work we do is really a team. Uh, the uh, I, like I said, I've been. Doing Doing this now 40 years and they're still it's like <laughs> I need help <laughs> and so reaching out to any of those individuals um, as needed and whatever the topic is and and the second piece if I can uh, I really like to not make quick decisions uh, the way my head works is I often wake up with solutions <laughs> and actually there's some good science behind that. And, uh, and so I like to let my mind work on it a little bit. And then I'm, I'm surprised sometimes at how new ideas come to me when I just give it the time to sort of ferment. Uh, so do you also have like the 4 a.m. light bulb go off? Because that's oh, that happens to me all the time. I don't always like that, but there are times that I'm I'm super happy that uh, I woke up and had that idea. <laughs> Sometimes it takes sleep in order for it to like. Yeah, well, yeah. we know why that happens now too. <laughs> very, very excellent answer. So, um, I'm curious for our listeners if you were going to rewind the clock back to when you're 22 towards the end of your you know schooling what's some advice you wish you would have told yourself or were aware of for yourself at that point that would have helped things go a little bit smoother for you i think for me i was always very very goal oriented i was always thinking about what was going to happen next, what was going to happen next. And so I don't think I always lived in the moment as much as I should have. Uh, I think uh, my my goal focus was good because it helped me develop and uh, obtain skills that I'm 
thankful for now. Uh, but as I reflect back, it's I, I, I wish I would have perhaps done that a little more. Um, students often ask me, because I work in a graduate training program, what advice I have. And I think the very first thing I typically say is, number one, find a place that you're going to learn uh, because there's so much left to learn. And number two, find a good mentor. Uh, I was privileged to have a good good mentors across my career. And I think it really made a big difference because I think sometimes they encourage me to do things that I'm not sure I knew I could do. <laughs> Uh, and uh, and that encouragement, because I respected them so much, uh, encouraged me to uh, to give those things a try. And I discovered I can do this. And so I think those two things are really important when you start your career, frankly, throughout. Yeah, those mentors are the ones that really kind of push you to that next level or sponsoring and kind of being those allies for you as you go through it are invaluable for sure. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on the RehabCast. After this quick break, we'll meet with the authors who updated the online material in workshops. ACRM is 100 years old this year. Join us in Atlanta this October for our 100th anniversary annual conference. The largest interdisciplinary rehabilitation research conference in the world will feature hundreds of instructional courses, symposia and papers and posters, and an expo hall with over 100 exhibitors and sponsors. Go to acram.org register. I feel good about what I do and capable at what I do in a way that's very comfortable and yet I still work with patients where I'm challenged. And um, it, it's a nice combination. Welcome back to the second part of this special RehabCast episode. Up next, I have the honor of speaking with PhD Michael Frass and PhD Donna Legenbahn to discuss how they assisted in advancing the online and workshop material associated with the ACRM Cognition Rehabilitation Manual. Thanks for being here today. Please introduce yourselves. I'm Dr. Donna Langenbahn. I am a rehabilitation neuropsychologist at Rusk Rehabilitation in New York City, which is a division of NYU Langone Health System. I'm coordinator of outpatient psychology services for our program and also an associate professor of rehabilitation medicine with the NYU Grossman School of Medicine. I'm Dr. Michael Frass. I am a speech-language pathologist with 25 years of clinical uh, research and academic experience, and I'm practicing in Seattle, Washington. Thank you both for being here. Really excited to have you both and to learn more about this great manual that's been put out by the ACRM. My first question, which I think will go to both of you, is how did how did you end up getting involved with this project in the first place? Okay, well, I'll I'll start out. The workshops grew out of our beta and first edition of the manual, and of course, the manual is I think you've covered before um, is an outgrowth of the uh, at least at that time of three evidence based reviews. Uh, our second edition of the manual is now and has added the 
fourth review, the 2019 review. So those are all uh, from the work led by Dr. Keith Cicerone uh, that came out on the effectiveness of cognitive rehab. So the workshops grew out of that and um, have been offered now for, uh, we figured, Michael and I figured 21, almost 22 years. There was one that was done in 2011 in San Francisco that Rebecca Everly, you spoke with her before, was a part of as faculty. And um, the faculty started out as the authors of that of the first manual. I'll let you, Michael, talk about your entry into into this faculty. Sure. I was involved with the 2011 systematic review. That was the, the third one. Um, in May of 2012, I attended the uh, Nashville workshop that um, Donna alluded to. Um, and then in the fall that year, October of uh, 2012, at the uh, ACRM conference in Vancouver, BC, I had a, a conversation with Dr. Lance Trexler who was the managing editor of the first uh, cognitive uh, rehab manual. And he invited me to consider joining the, the faculty. And at the time, the vetting process um, required a, a, a new uh, potential faculty to present at a conference uh, along with two other vetted faculty and I just so happened to draw a lucky straw and uh, was able to go to Sunas Rehabilitation Center outside of Oslo, Norway, for my first presentation. And um, Dr. Langenbahn and Dr. Trexler um, were my mentors for that. And... Um, I must have done a good job because they asked me to stay on as a faculty member. That's wonderful to hear. And I want to this this segment of the rehab cast, which is going to follow the first part of talking about the manual. Today, we're really going to dig into the actual workshop training and how it's been updated, and speak more to that so that listeners can kind of hear more about this great work that you're going around the world presenting. Yeah, well, I, I just saw a need for them to um, uh, be spruced up a little bit, modernized a little bit, um, make them look a, a little bit more appealing to the attendees, um, tone down on some of the text, uh, increase some of the visuals. And so Donna and I worked with ACRM staff to develop some templates that we used um, that incorporated uh, ACRM branding and some color schemes that they had going, uh, some images that they had procured. And, and so we incorporated that all into um, the decks. Um, what I did was reach out to the uh, manual faculty uh, and, and ask them to, to get involved. And so we divvied up some of the responsibility and a, a couple of faculty were charged with working on a, a particular deck. Um, so for example, the um, 
attention deck, we had uh, Dr. Angela Yee and um, Dr. Amy Rosenbaum. Uh, they they put a lot of effort into the attention deck, um, and and then um, Dr. Yee, who's a neuropsychologist um, in Claremont, California. Uh, she helped me with all of the editing. We wanted to make sure that font sizes and and everything were all uniform across the decks. And she um, was pretty integral in the the creative um, aspects of things. And so I, I think they they look a lot better. It was a, it was a good team effort. The other thing that that was going on at that time, of course, is that we Michael and I among a number of other people were involved in the second edition writing of the manual. And, and so as it turns out, Michael's desire to modernize, update the slides was really dovetailing with the second edition. And, and so happens, of course, I think you've heard this, the, the addition of new chapters uh, additional chapters and expansion of the original chapters. So in, in looking at how the format of the workshop would go, we also talked about what would be included. So the, what used to be the introduction chapter became principles of cognitive rehabilitation to go along with that first chapter in, in the new edition, the second edition, the manual and textbook. And also we decided to add a module on neuroanatomy and neurophysiology that really um, underlie the cognitive domains. And then we added a group chapter. So, so in a sense, we expanded the workshop, although we also made some decisions to pull back on a couple of things. We don't have there's a part called clinical applications where you take research and apply it in a case presentation. And then we don't have now formal case presentations that go along with which each of the domains. Um, but what we do have are the principles, the neuroanatomy and neurophysiology, group treatment, along with the five cognitive domains, which are attention and concentration, executive function, memory, uh, those are the big three. And then social communication, which is an underestimated domain that Michael may say more about later as our speech and language pathologist on, on this call. And, um, and visual spatial skills, including praxic skill, practic skills. So those are really important domains that, that we kept and they continue to be really core domains along with principles in, in the workshop so that it, it's, it adds up to two days and, um, you know, a total of 14 hours of credit actually for people who take it. That's wonderful. And I'm curious when you think about, you know, who is the ideal person that takes these workshops? When you think about how it was updated and crafted, I'm sure there was thought into like, who are the individuals that we want to be attending and what, like, what, who is that type of provider or type of that person that you kind of made these updates for? Donna, do you want to, do you want to start with that? Yeah, I can. Um, I, I think they divide somewhat. We, we do think about 
beginners attending uh, to get a good overview of those cognitive domains I mentioned, and especially principles, you know, to have a really solid underlying um, understanding of what of what the cognitive rehabilitation approach means. Uh, I think, and then plus the, the neuroanatomy and neurophysiology module. I, I think we really are proud of that one. Uh, Lance Trexler actually recorded it. All, all of these modules are recorded, by the way, for video or online training. But but Lance did that recording. Um, Michael has since uh, taken up the, the uh, challenge of of presenting that, and um, it, it's one that's, I think it's a really great chapter in addition to the principles being expanded and so solid. So so we do really think about beginners um, attending and, and getting a good overview, but in addition, we've had a solid attendance um, by people who have at least five years of rehab experience as therapists, and that's been not only, um, I think, helpful for them, but an exciting experience for us as presenters, because there have been some great questions and suggestions and, and audience interaction in, our, in the two times that we've presented this, this new edition. So that's um, been great in terms of interaction and just like I said, exciting and stimulating for us as presenters. Uh, there's another audience because it's also uh, a textbook, and I'll, Michael, I'll let you uh, respond to that part of the audience yeah. that we like to have. Yeah, um, let me just add in there that from a from a clinical standpoint, we're we're um, trying to get this in the hands of of clinicians, so uh, speech-language pathologists, occupational therapists, physical therapists, neuropsychologists, um, physiatrists. Um, we've also had nurses and social workers, case managers, uh, even dietitians um, attend, and occasionally we get um, 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 a um, consumer, either a, a survivor of a brain injury or... or um, one of their uh, family members or caregivers. Um, so, so we're marketing it as a as a clinical manual, but we're also looking at it as a a, um, a textbook. Um, I think I said that back in um, October of 2012, I had this conversation with Lance Trexler, and he invited me then to join the faculty. But I had been telling him that I was using it as the, the first edition of the manual as the textbook in my cognitive rehabilitation class with graduate speech language pathologists. So we wanted the second manual to, to be aimed at that, that market. So we've been reaching out to programs that offer a cognitive rehabilitation course, contacting the faculty who teach those courses and inviting them to attend the workshop. Um, and in addition to the, to the manual, we have a companion website that includes a lot of, of um, materials that faculty members and students can access to um, improve the learning process. So we, we've got testing materials, assignments, um, 
we've got um, forms and worksheets that that they can use with their their patients. So, um, yeah, it's a it's a we're trying to get as many people involved with this as possible. I think it's really kind of beautiful that you're you're encapsulating the the big field of rehab into this somewhat specific domain and you're really trying to pull all these different provider types in and i think that's that's really great um when you think about oh yeah go um, ahead donna yeah I, and and from what michael's saying um he he didn't mention it but michael has quite a resume as a professor himself uh he did mention that he used the first manual to teach but um he's he's really used not only the first manual but but he and rebecca everly who also has a significant professorship uh resume uh have both used the manual and both taught cognitive rehabilitation courses and so they've really been our mentors on our faculty group to not only um help us understand what a great teaching device this is and can be, but then also did surveying to help develop the second edition into a true manual along, you know, with the website, with um, an entire chapter really in in the book dedicated to resources for students and, and clinicians. So it's, it's been, um, their contribution has just been, so much more even than than what Michael said. So, you know, just being modest there, Michael. (laughs) Thank you, Donna. Donna, you kind of hit on what my next question was going to be, is when you think about, you know, someone attends this workshop or gets the manual, what do you kind of view are the biggest takeaways or things that they may uh, gain by doing this particular training, whether it's through the website or an in-person workshop. What what do you hope are those takeaways that they're going to continue to use? Well, I, I think there's a there's a there's a number of things that that we are hoping to convey. Um, we actually want them to get a little bit of an idea of the systematic review process and 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 um, how we go about that, how we take that data and and synthesize it and create the the three levels of recommendations that we provide for for clinicians and and those are practice standards practice guidelines and practice options and those three tiers are based on the the quality of the the um, information that we're able to pull out of the articles and you know, a practice standard is is something that we feel that uh, a clinician should always be doing when they're when they're working with their patients. A, a practice um, guideline is that there's pretty robust evidence to 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 consider as a um, as something in your tool bag. And a practice option, you know, just because there isn't as much. Um, data out there to to give it a higher recommendation doesn't mean that it's it's uh, 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 something that you 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 shouldn't try i mean a lot of these um all of the 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 treatments we have in the manual are are um really effective um uh, i think that we um 
we want them to get a really good sense of of a foundation in in cognitive rehabilitation, and that's what the the principles chapter is uh, geared towards. Um, and the addition of the neuroanatomy of cognition is really important. Um, that's also a foundational um, bit of knowledge that we want people to glean from this manual. Um, people who participate in the workshops from a professional standpoint can gain up to 14 hours of continuing education. Um, and then, um, you know, they also um, will receive um, uh, an e-version of the manual um, by signing up for the workshop. And they help to build that network too, that network of co-participants and leaders in the field and educators. And I think, I mean, that's a lot of the reasons many of us go to the conferences beyond just the material that's presented is it, I don't know, gives you a little bit of that validation is there, there's people out there doing this stuff. I'm not the only one in my own spot. Like I'm not on an island here. There's more of us out there. It's a great networking opportunity for sure. And the, the wonderful thing about the, the cognitive rehab faculty is that we're all very approachable and, um, and clinicians can reach out to us, um, for for additional information at any time. I loved what you were saying, Michael, about the the evidence based review process. I I I think that um, I, I was musing a bit while you were talking and and really thinking how some of us on faculty started out more as clinicians, but I think that we've all become. Um, researchers in the sense of looking at research, you know, maybe not doing the basic uh, research ourselves always, but, but we've gotten such a respect for the research process and the looking at how the evidence does or does not support the interventions. And, and I hope, I, I think we convey that uh, we always mention whether we're saying something off evidence, you know, that it's anecdotal or that that we've noticed it in our own practices. But we're very careful about that. And and as Michael, as you mentioned, we're very careful about our emphasis on the practice standards that that are recommendations at that level, because in essence, those are standards of care. And, and the research support and the number of patients in the, you know, the total uh, number of, of studies that we've looked at it is, is significant for those. It, it's really compelling. And, and so, yeah, we do go through that process. It's part of the presentation of the principles. And then, you know, thinking about interns and back to the textbook idea is that that we're really wanting to reach people early, early career, you know, in, in graduate school, that, that we can um, see if we can reach into that level of training so that cognitive rehabilitation becomes more widespread. You know, I, at, at Rusk, I, we're, we're one of the few 
internships in psychology uh, right now that that have a true cognitive rehab seminar and and I think Michael and Rebecca at graduate level teaching you know there weren't so many there are starting to be a few more we're finding out from some of our connections and networking but uh, that's our goal you know catch those folks in graduate school too that's wonderful when you when you think about you know you just got done doing a really big change and a big update and hopefully this doesn't catch you off guard but when you've already rolled it out twice have you already fallen into that mode of i wonder what we're going to up at update next time or seeing things that you ready or kind of like well maybe we could tweak this thing too well um you know, every time we present, I see something in the slides that I'm like, oh, I really would like to to change that. Um, but, um, you know, we'll be updating the the workshops as new evidence comes about. We're already working on another systematic review. Um, Donna, help me out here. Um <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> we uh, are working on another systematic review. I think that we recently had a couple of conversations about whether or not we want to try to reincorporate some case presentations. That We had more video presentations before when we were doing like a half hour each of case presentations for the, dom- for the cognitive domains, the five I mentioned. So we're talking about ways of trying to incorporate that back in in some way without losing, you know, some of the new content that we are so excited about. Uh, so that's one thing. We are kind of back tweaking, if you will, perhaps. And then, as Michael mentioned, we've got some ideas about "quote unquote" advanced. Um, additions, maybe even on a third day with implementation, which would be more at the facility level, you know, the the institutional level and probably more for administrators, but, um, but also some ideas about uh, group comprehensive programs um, and also the um, looking at more case presentations and more audience involvement, you know, where maybe there's some breakout sessions and discussions among people or more interaction between presenter and audience. We have um, recorded faculty members uh, presenting individual um, topics in the workshop and ACRM is marketing those as an online learning opportunity for people. And in a few cases, we have offered um, our faculty to be accessible to these groups uh, to do question and answer sessions with them. So that's something else we might begin to um, formalize a little bit more. That's a really interesting concept. That's, yeah, that's kind of a, it leads to that more group discussion type model where you get the material, you look it over, and then you have that subsequent interview type piece. Yeah, we did one um, 
it, it was actually with a group that we were kind of surprised about. It was the University of Malaya, which is a Malaysian university in Kuala Lumpur. And um, it was a great Q&A. Michael and I uh, were involved in that along with um, Tom Berquist. Uh, and they were, they had, they had uh, viewed the videos. Um, they had sent their questions in ahead of time. So we had some time to look at them and, and think about it and assign questions, you know, and, and respond to them. And it was just a really fun interaction. I thought we had 90 minutes and could have gone on. <laughs> you know? That's really, that's really neat. Um, I'm excited to see how this grows and what the next steps look like. And thank you both for being on the rehab cast today. Thank you, Bill. Let's jump into some of these, you know, quick lightning round questions. And uh, you guys can alternate who answers these if you so choose. The The first question or kind of statement is, tell me a, a piece of good advice that you've received. Respond, don't react. I like that. Yeah, that's good advice. No matter uh, what field you're in or what you're doing, that's excellent advice. Thanks for that, Michael. Um, <clears throat> so let's flip this next one to Donna. Tell me about something I must do if I come to the city where you work and live. Oh my goodness! Uh, I should say go to a Broadway play, I guess, but. Uh, <laughs> You know, uh, we, we we folks who live here don't get to do that so much since we actually work. Uh, I think that I think the city that I live in should be noted to have over a, seven million trees. Is it? It's some sort of huge number that nobody thinks about. Actually, that there are trees in New York City. There are, <laughs> and in fact. Every street is lined with trees. You, you don't notice them because of the buildings, but there are trees. And so I think that one of the really great things to do in New York, a couple things to do. One is Central Park. It's got some great stuff in it, um, including a merry-go-round merry and a boathouse and where you can paddle boat. But also the really cool park also there's, is the Brooklyn Park. Um, Prospect Park, which is really old and more rugged and lots of fun. So I'd say, yeah, make sure and hit a Broadway play, but get to those parks too. I like that advice. Get out there and get into nature. Uh, Michael, this next one's for you. Uh, you're coming to the next ACRM conference. You get there. You open up your suitcase and you find an extra $40 that you had totally forgot about. What do you do with those $40? Well, I should probably do something practical like invest it, right? But um, I would probably um, uh, take Dr. Lance Trexler, my uh, mentor and friend, to the bar for a couple of well-deserved martinis. I like it. I like it. Donna, this is an interesting question. Let's, uh, what would you say has been your, your favorite decade to practice in? Oh, my goodness. Oh, oh, my gosh, that's hard. Oh, they've all been so interesting in some ways. A, a decade of, of history or a decade of my work life? However you want to take it. Because I, I will say that I'm hitting 
40 years at Russ. Yeah, you don't you don't have to divulge uh, your age when well, you I talk about it. At, I started age, you know, 10. But anyway, um, gosh, most interesting. Probably, I, I think the first 10 were the most exciting and interesting. I got to come to the place where I read about Lenny Diller and and his team at Rusk. And I can, you know, I Tom Berquist always teases me that I start crying every time I talk about Lenny. But but he was um just my ideal and and mentor and um and so wise and so knowledgeable and so kind and giving. Um, that just, just being able to be an, I was an intern at Rusk in 1983, 84. And, and so getting to be here was incredible. And myself and another intern at that time, both came here because of cog rehab, because we knew about the studies, because we had read them and because we had gotten some experience before we came. And because both of us were doing our, um, dissertations in in rehab. Uh, I mean, I actually did a dissertation based on um, uh, a, a memory strategy that um, I had, you know, X number of people use, maybe 10, and then 10 who didn't use it and, you know, use, I mean, it was exciting, such an exciting time. And then I also, we the two of us went together and talked our supervisor on the outpatient division into mentoring us because at that time interns didn't get to do cognitive rehab at Rusk. And so we said, Hey, no, no, you have to tell us we, we came here because of this. You've got to let us do it. And she did. And she supervised us. And that's Rosalind Cher, who was at one point a president of, um, uh, of the rehabilitation psychology division. So in at APA, so anyway, that was incredibly exciting to get to do that. I, I so certainly that one. I I think the other one, maybe this one. It's you know I just feel so. Um, I I feel good about what I do and capable at what I do, um, in a way that's very comfortable. And yet I still work with patients where I'm challenged. And um, it, it's a nice combination. And, and getting to work with people as a clinician, yes, but as a person, you know, and relate to them as a person in, in addition to the clinical work. And, and that's just a nice time of my life to be doing this work. Excellent answer. Excellent answer. Michael, I don't know how you're going to beat that one. I, I, I don't see how I could. <laughs> really well. so, no, 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 no. That, but that was, uh, it was mesmerizing. It was really well done. Bill, I'm, I would, I would be remiss if I didn't mention some of the, well, the, the core group of people that really helped us put these workshops together. Um, besides, um, Amy Shapiro Rosenberg and, uh, Angela Yee, who I mentioned, um, Rebecca Eberly at uh, Indiana University has been, she and Amy were the managing editors of this 
huge task. Um, we also have um, Jennifer Wethy, who's a neuropsychologist at um, Mayo Clinic Scottsdale, and Tom Burquist, a neuropsychologist at um, Mayo Clinic in Rochester. Um, Drew Nagel was involved with um, uh, revision of some of these slides, but he also spearheaded the Pediatric Cognitive Rehabilitation Group, which is uh, separate from from us, but um, dovetails nicely with the two-day um, cognitive rehab um, workshop. Um, we have um, Larissa Swan and Chris Carter, who have been working on the implementation piece, which may one day become um, an additional uh, one-day workshop. We're still um, negotiating about that. Um, and then, of course, there's Lance Trexler, who, um, who's been a, a mentor and friend to all of us. Um, Donna, please let me know if I forgot somebody, but, um, but that was the core group that really helped to revise these slide decks and, um, and are currently presenting at various workshops. That concludes today's episode of the RehabCast. I hope you enjoyed the show and found the information on the updates to the Cognition Rehabilitation Manual interesting. I personally plan on following the advice of striving to be a forever student of rehabilitation. Maybe you'll join me. For more on the Cognition Rehabilitation Manual, go to cognitiverehabilitation.org. We appreciate you joining us today on the ACRM Rehabcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you are listening right now. It really does help us spread the word about this wonderful field of rehabilitation. I'm Dr. Bill Niehaus. Follow me on social media at NHAUSMD. Come celebrate ACRM's 100th International Rehabilitation Conference in Atlanta later this year. The core ACRM 2023 conference will be running from October 30th to November 2nd. It's never too late to register. Special thanks to Philip Frobos who produced this episode, Rehab Cast Music by the Mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Now, since most of you probably just skipped the closing part when I encourage you to join us at our next national conference, I will do it in the style of a monster truck show announcer. The countdown is on! Don't miss out on ACRM's 100th International Rehabilitation Conference in Atlanta later this year. Fly out on Sunday, 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 since the core ACRM 2023 conference will be running from October 30th to November 2nd. It's never too late to register. If somehow you don't manage to make it this year, definitely follow along on social media. We'll be using the hashtag ACRM2023. Don't miss out on the action.